Have and let me pray for us as we look at this together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that every word is inspired by you and, and written in, under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. We pray you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. Please speak to us. Help us to come away. Um, join, wanting to join with David in his praise of you. We pray we'd learn from David's example. We go away with a song in our hearts to you, Lord, of your greatness and goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. There used to be a gifted preacher called A.W. Tozer. He was also a writer. He wrote some good books. And he had a, a saying, which became quite famous, one of the most famous things he said, where he said, they said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about, about us. So I wonder if we asked you, or someone asked me, what comes into my mind when I think about God, uh, what, what kind of thoughts come into our heads when we try and picture God or think about what God is like? Yeah, is God just a spirit in the sky? Uh, is God just a creator who got creation going and then left it alone? Uh, is God like a, a grandfather figure? Is God like a heavenly policeman who just wants to catch us when we do wrong things? Or what if we asked a similar question to people in Beeston in the neighbourhoods around us? wonder what comes into their minds when they think about God. Well, I think this is a great psalm to look at tonight on that theme because it reminds us of some of the truths about God. God has shown us about his uh, nature and character, his works. This is a great psalm to refresh our understanding of who God is. And I hope tonight we'll be stirred to praise God afresh and to glorify him like David did. Now, just a few words of introduction about the psalm. So this is actually the last psalm of King David in the book of Psalms. He wrote many of the psalms. This is his last one in the, the Psalter, the book of Psalms. And it's also said sometimes to be like an introduction to what is sometimes called the Hallelujah Chorus. Now, if you've ever seen Handel's Messiah, you might know there's a Hallelujah Chorus in Handel's Messiah. But also people say there's a, in a sense a Hallelujah Chorus in the book of Psalms. Because actually Psalms 146... 250, just look across to Psalm 146, for example. Uh, Psalm 146 to Psalm 150 all actually start with the word hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. So Psalm 146, praise the Lord. 147, 148, 149, 150, praise the Lord. It's like a hallelujah chorus. And Psalm 145 is like the introduction to that hallelujah chorus. I also wonder if we'd had journeyed through the whole of the book of Psalms, uh, it's obviously a big collection of uh, songs and poems. I think as we go through it, we'd see, wouldn't we, there's various different highs and lows. There's uh, psalms of praise and thanksgiving, but also psalms of lament, of sadness, and people trusting God in times of difficulties, both highs and lows. But when you reach the end of the psalms, though, it does finish with this hallelujah chorus, this praise to God. I wonder if there's a message there. Actually, while we might have highs and lows in our walks with the Lord in the Christian life, actually, at the very end, our Christian life in God's purposes will end with praise. Whether that's God bringing us through a trial, a time of difficulty, and we praise in them for his deliverance. Or actually, the praise we'll give to God at the very end in the new heavens and the new earth in eternity. We'll praise God at the very end. The Christian life ends in praise. And lastly, it's also an acrostic psalm. Say it's an acrostic psalm. Say it's structured around the Hebrew alphabet. So each verse is, is based on a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It starts with it. So the first one is based on like the A, the equivalent of A in Hebrew. And the last one is like the equivalent of Z in the Hebrew alphabet. So it's like an A to Z of praise. 
and A to Z of praise. So maybe there's an indication that actually praise was interweaved uh, throughout David's life and his walk with the Lord. It's an A to Z of praise. And we're encouraged to join with him in his example of praise of the Lord. Now, one thing that's sometimes said of my generation and perhaps those who are younger than me is actually my generation, people say, actually quite fearful of making commitments. We don't like making commitments. We're fearful of committing to anything. Uh, people my generation like to keep our options open because uh, we're worried we might miss out on something. We think, yeah, if I commit to something, maybe something better might come along five minutes later. And so we like to keep our options open. And sometimes people talk about this thing, don't they, called, if you heard the phrase, FOMO. The fear of missing out, FOMO. And so we don't like to make commitments. But here in this psalm, it's clear right from the start that David is a man who'd made a commitment. And his commitment was he'd committed to praise God. He said, every day I will praise you, God. And he'd committed to praise God right to the end of his life, forever. Even to eternity, he would praise God. So David was a man who'd made a commitment to praise the Lord. So what is it then that would inspire David to praise God? What is it that would inspire us and my generation to praise God and be committed to that? We're going to draw out from our passage two truths about God which should inspire us to be committed to praising him. So the first reason why we can be committed to praising God is this, to praise God for his greatness. Praise God for his greatness. I get this from verses one to seven. So I'll read it again for us. First one, I extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. So we see right away David's commitment to praise God. And David is overflowing with praise of God for his greatness and his goodness and his glory. And it seems that David in this whole psalm seems to interweave different themes or different reasons why he praises God. It might be tempting for someone like myself to try and dissect the psalm and make it very kind of structured and logical uh, uh, kind of diagram from it. But I don't think it's quite so easy to do that because all the different themes of why he praises God all interweave with one another like a tapestry. So he praises God for his greatness and his works, his character, God's kindness and his grace. And then he calls others, even calling creation to praise the Lord. Uh, he wants to lift God high, to extol God, to lift God's name up. You know, David is a man who knew that he'd been blessed by God. And in return for how he's been blessed by God, he wants to bless God in return. He blesses God's name. And David says he's going to be doing this forever. Uh, bless your name forever and ever. David knows that God is eternal. There'll never be a time when God is not worthy of praise. God will be worthy of praise right throughout all eternity. So David's going to be committed to blessing and praising the Lord forever. When I was at um, Barber College, uh, I was blessed to go to um, Oak Hill College in London. And people gave gifts and I was sponsored to go there, so I was very blessed to go there. And one of the things which, particularly a lesson which has stuck with me since I was at Barber College, and it was drummed into me, I think it was drummed into us at Barber College, by the man who was the principal at the time, he was called Mike Ovey, he's now with the Lord. But one thing particularly drummed into us was uh, the importance of, if we're serving God in some way, 
making sure our service of God or whatever ministry there is, it doesn't become separated from blessing and worshipping God. You, know, you could be involved in lots of different ways of serving God, uh, but there's a real risk and danger if you are involved in serving God. You might uh, leave off actually worshipping and serving, uh, blessing God as well. So at Bible college, what that meant, what that looked like at Bible college was obviously we'd, at Bible college we have lectures and we'd be taught and we had to write essays and uh, we might be serving in a local church. But it's drummed into us as well, very much, as well as writing those essays and studying and reading books and being trained. We also make sure we turn up for chapel and worship in chapel and make sure we also turn up um, to, uh, on, in churches on Sunday to worship God. And so just, you know, being trained didn't become a kind of academic exercise of reading books, but actually the service of God had to be stayed connected to the blessing and worship of God, keeping them together. I think we probably see some of that in King David. So well, you know, David had his role as the king of the nation to look after the king, protect them, guide them, lead them, protect them in war, to be the one who uh, manages the country. So he's got this role he's seeking to fulfill as king, but he's also committed, isn't he, to worshipping and praising God, blessing God. His service of God and his blessing and worship of God are held together. I think that's an important lesson to us. If we are serving God, make sure we're also worshipping God and blessing him as well. David says, God is so great. Verse 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. To say God's greatness is unsearchable is actually say it's beyond uh, us fully comprehending how great God is. We can know truths about God, we can know God for ourselves, we can trust what he's shown us through Jesus and through his word and get to know God truly. We'll never fully know God. We'll never know God exhaustively. There'll always be more to know and learn about God and an endless journey of getting to know God. So God's greatness is unsearchable. I wonder if, like me, you might have seen some of the pictures on the BBC website from uh, something called the James Webb Telescope. I'm not a scientist. I know there's some scientists in our church. Well, there's this thing called the James Webb Telescope where they're taking photos of the universe and the stars. I think recently, just this week, they released some photos of pictures of a, a star being born. You can see better photos on the BBC website if you search for it. And it's a matter of amazing to look at. You know, seeing the, the beauty of the colours, the vastness of our universe, how it's put together. And it's amazing. It's, it's wonderful. But of course, you know, if our solar system is that amazing and that beautiful, then how much more amazing must be the God who made it, who put it together? His greatness is unsearchable beyond our human understanding. I can't understand all those things. Well, how much less can I fully understand what God is like? And of course, King David, King David, one of the best kings which Israel had, wasn't he? Perhaps the greatest king. He wasn't perfect by any stretch, but he was probably the best king. But even great King David knew that God was far greater than he was and worthy of his worship. How much more should we ourselves worship God as well? If David recognised it, how much more should we recognise it? And David also speaks about, goes on, does he say, to speak about telling the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. You're wanting to make sure the next generation know God and, and are called to worship him as well. So look down at verse 4. Verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And verse 12, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. It's like David and his people with him have been uh, looking at God, meditating on God, getting to know God, and now they're filled with his greatness. Now they're overflowing with praise to others. They want the next generation to know about God and his praiseworthy deeds. 
They want, their, they want to tell their children, the, the young people, the next generation. Uh, early on, I was saying how I think it's important we keep serving God and worshipping God together. They don't become separated. Yeah, we're not separating service from worship. But also, I think here we see that evangelism and worship should be held together. That actually, one of the big motives why we want to tell all this is because of our overflowing worship of the Lord. God is so great and he's so deserving of glory and worship. We want others to know about him. We'll declare God's greatness and his name and his works to others around us. This, of course, applies doesn't it, directly to our children's and youth work here at City Church. Groups like City Kids and all different ministries we have, uh, great ministries in this church for uh, children and young people to, so they can know God. It's part of the motivation, what motivates those ministries. If you want a biblical text to support children and youth ministry, this is a great example. We want to, the next generation to know that the greatness of God is praiseworthiness and they come to worship him as well. And of course today, you and I, we have even more reasons to praise God, don't we? Than David did. You know, things have moved on. There's been several hundreds and thousands of years since the time of David. We've got even more reasons to praise God today. We've had the coming of Jesus, our Saviour, his life and teaching and ministry, his example. We've got Jesus' work of salvation on the cross for us and his resurrection, conquering, defeating death for you and I and the evil one. Uh, we've got the testimony of God's care of his people through 2,000 years of church history as God's protected and sustained his church as the gospel has gone out to the nations. If you're a follower of Jesus tonight, you might have your own personal testimonies of God's greatness and goodness in your life, of answered prayers, of wounds healed, relationships reconciled, knowing hope in times of despair, knowing God's presence with you in times of trial and God's provision in times of need. We've got even more reasons to praise God today. Now, I recognise that there will be some of us, maybe here tonight, who actually don't feel like praising God tonight. And there might be all sorts of reasons we don't feel like praising God if we're going through the mill, going through a hard time. And I'm going to say a few words about that later on. There might be reasons why we don't feel like praising God today. So we'll touch on that later. But can I just ask you a few questions and make a few applications on just on this point? How, how is our praise of the Lord tonight? Do we know his greatness? Do we know the praiseworthy acts of God? Do we want others to know his greatness as well? Can we, do we want to join with David in his praise of God and imitate his example of praising God? Do, do, we, do we have that commitment to praise him like he did? I take it if you're here tonight, you do have a commitment to praise God. He wouldn't have come tonight. But do we, can we model his, follow his example of praising God? Well, just some of those points, again, which I drew out, you know, from, on this point before we move on to our second point. Let's not separate the serving of God from blessing God. Let's seek to play our part in telling the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord and play our part in making his name known to the nations. It seems to set in the, in the psalm, the flow of the psalms, you start with King David to the covenant people, telling the next generation, then telling the nations that all creation would come to praise the Lord. We're called to play our part in that, of making God known to others. So we can praise God tonight because of his greatness. But secondly, we can also praise God and be committed to praising God for his goodness. To praise God for his goodness. I get this from verse 8 through to the end. So let's read that again. Praise God for his goodness. Verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, 
and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures to all generations. Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desires of every living thing. Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Then let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. We not only praise God because he's great, but we also praise him because he's good. It might be a relief to know being reminded God is good. You know, if God was just mighty and powerful and great, I imagine that could be quite a terrifying image of God. But he's not just powerful, but he's also good. And his goodness is seen in his kindness and his graciousness to people in his creation. You might recognise some of those character traits in verse 8 and 9 where it talks about God being gracious and merciful. It's an echo, isn't it, of what God said to Moses. If you know in the book of Exodus, Exodus 34, when um, Moses asked God to show him his glory, uh, and God uh, declared his name and his glory to Moses. So David reminds us, like he said to Moses, that God is uh, kind and merciful and patient and faithful and good. He's perfect, completely and in the second half of the psalm, we see this much more, this theme of God's kingdom, his kingdom lasting forever, verse 11. They speak of the glory of your kingdom. Verse 12, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. And verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. God's kingdom lasts forever. Unlike human kingdoms which come and go, which don't last. We think of uh, how Prince Charles, you know, King Charles' kingdom compares already to Queen Elizabeth and her amazing example. And human kingdoms where they use their power for wicked ends and misuse their power. But God rules in righteousness. His rule is perfect. The perfect kingdom that we need. But amazing, as I I touched on earlier, he isn't just all powerful. He uses power in, in ways which are kind and gracious. He's kind to the weak. He's a God who lifts up the broken. A God who provides. A God who protects. A God who's near to those who call on him. A God who sustains those who fear him, but he's also just, just as well. So his, the way he uses his power is beautiful, it's perfect, and it's gracious and kind. I guess we see all these things, don't we, in, in the person of Jesus, the best Jesus in the gospel who came, declaring the kingdom of God, the kingdom's come near, repent and believe the good news. We also see his works of power and his miracles, but also Jesus' love for the outsider, Jesus' love for the vulnerable and the broken, and the hurting. Jesus using his kingly power in beautiful ways. I think I've seen this just a little bit myself in my, in my new job at Caring for Life, where I've just been about two and a half months now, working this up to care for vulnerable adults. People come from a variety of different backgrounds. Some people from broken backgrounds, backgrounds of abuse, backgrounds of uh, really sinful behaviour at times, really vulnerable, hurting people, and yet some of them have come to know the love of God for them 
some of them come to trust in Jesus because of the love they've experienced through caring, to, caring for life. You know, God's love for, for the broken and the hurting. So God is great, but God is also good, and we're to praise him. And David comes full circle at the end of Psalm, verse 21. He repeats that commitment he made at the start, that his mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and that all creation praise him forever. But I guess a question for some of us here tonight might be the question, maybe in the future, what do I do if I don't feel like praising God? What do I do if I don't feel like praising God? Actually, some of us might not feel like praising God tonight. Maybe we are going through the mill. Maybe we feel spiritually dry. Maybe we feel far from God. I'm not going to suggest I've got all the answers to that, but just a few suggestions from the psalm of what we pick up from the psalm of how we can, what we can do in that circumstance. David says we can cry out to the Lord. We can ask him to help us. And he, he says he draws near and he hears us. He says God is near to those who call on him. So we can go to the Lord and say, God, and in the Psalms, you see in the Psalms, you can be very honest with God. The Psalms are very honest. God, I, I, this is how I'm feeling. I bring this before you. I want to be honest with you. Uh, please, would you help me to praise you again? It might not happen immediately. It might take days or weeks or months to come to a place where we praise God again. But we can call to God and ask him to do that. They'd encourage us to meditate on God, to remember who God is, to look at his word, feed on his word, who he is and the works he's done, uh, to soak in his greatness, to, to, to absorb it, to meditate on God, his greatness, his goodness, his gloriousness and his graciousness. And of course, the Psalms are, are to be sung in the company of others. So I can encourage you, if we are feeling that we can't praise God, not to run away from God, people, but to spend time with those who do praise God, and maybe over time it will rub off on you, and you'll be encouraged to praise God with them. So don't run away from the people of God, but keep spending time with God's people. It might rub off on you over time to praise Him as well. But I'd like to just finish with this thought um, as we try to draw to close on Psalm 145. Some of you might have heard of a, a pastor and a writer called Tim Chester. He's a very gifted pastor, very gifted writer, and he sometimes talks about what we call the four G's. Of God, four truths about God which we can take people to if they're struggling, if people come to us for help and encouragement. He says these four G's about God we find in his words are quite helpful. So he reminds us that God is great, so we don't have to be in control. I don't have to be in control because God's in control. God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. God is good. So we don't have to look elsewhere. We don't have to have that fear of missing out because every good thing is in God. God is good and God is gracious. So we don't have to prove ourselves. God knows what we're like and his grace and kindness covers all our weaknesses and brokenness. Now, of course, we focus tonight on just two of those, particularly God's greatness and goodness. But I actually think you can find all four of those G's in our psalm tonight. God is great, verse three, great is Lord and greatly to be praised. God is glorious, verse 11, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. God is good, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, verse 7 that is. And God is gracious, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. May we take these things to heart, may we be encouraged to meditate on them and to praise God as well like David did. Let's pray together.